0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Just a quick note before today's episode. This summer, we're completing our series of introduction videos with our final season of filming, and we still need to raise about $30,000 to cover those costs, and we would love you to help us with that. And you can do that by visiting the Spoken Gospel website and clicking on donate. And by doing that, you can contribute to bringing books like the Book of Revelation to life. And whether that's through a one-time gift or a monthly donation, your support makes all the difference in the world. So thank you so much and enjoy today's podcast.
1: Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a ministry that's dedicated to speaking the gospel out of every corner of scripture. In Luke 24, Jesus told his disciples that every part of the Bible was about him. So each week, hosts David and Seth work through a passage of scripture to see how it's all about Jesus and his good news. Let's jump in.
0: Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. We are so glad to have you with us today for the book of Nahum.
1: Yes. How are you? I'm doing great. Yeah. This, for me at least, for us at least, mm. this is our first podcast to record in the new year. Oh, you're right. It's not the one other people are hearing in the new year, right. but it's our first record in the new year. Yeah. And I feel kind of rested, actually, after a long yeah. <laughs> break, just like, okay, I haven't had the podcast. I know. podcast weekly for a while. I've missed it. I feel, I missed it, and yeah. I feel
0: like... Some new energy for new it. New energy for it. So yeah. I'm excited. That's exciting. Yeah. That's good. Um, I mean, yeah, general podcast news too. Like it's been cool. Uh, the version Bible app has started uh, putting podcasts on the app and yep. we got to be one of the first podcasts there. So if that's how you found us, hello. welcome. If you've been listening all along, not knowing that. You can now listen to our podcast on the Bible app and read the Bible right there with it, which is super cool. Which is really cool. So we're glad to be there, uh, and uh, it's brought some new listeners to us. So we're glad you're here. Um, we are in the book of Nahum. Nahum. Nehem Today. Uh, yeah. Talk to me about. <laughs> talk to me about his name. Oh, Nehem,
1: It means compassion.
0: Compassion, which is a strange kind of ironic name for a book that yeah. starts off with, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord
1: is, the Lord is avenging and wrathful. Yeah, he, it's funny. Nahum actually makes a pun on his own name. In uh, <laughs> I like to play with my own name. Yeah, too. all right, well, I've, it's something I've ever considered doing for myself, but Micah did it. Like, who's yeah. like God? And right, that's his the, name. That's his name. Yeah. And then he, like, takes that as part of the his prophecy. So, cool. so, Nahum means compassion, but Noheim means Avenging ah, and so he's the compassionate prophet. We'll talk to us about the avenging God Mm. Is there Uh,
0: something in that about this book as a whole that it's like Yes, okay that I think so that we're supposed to think about God is avenging and compassionate.
1: I think so Uh, Nahum is on the whole a pretty violent bloody and uh, gloomy book. Yeah, um But it is gloomy to the people it must be gloomy towards. Uh, Um, It's written against the nation of Nineveh and Assyria and the brutality and inhumanity they exercised against Israel while they conquered it.
0: Right. Okay. Now, let me pause right there because you said the nation of Nineveh and Assyria. Yeah. uh, But the nations of Syria, right? And Nineveh's yes, it, yes, right. Nineveh the is the capital. Big... Okay, okay. The nation, right. okay. Yes, yes, that's right. Nineveh is the capital city of the nation Assyria. That's right. Okay. So um, are, are we basically? We'll probably switch back and forth. We're calling it Nineveh or Assyria. Yeah, but yeah. Nineveh is the big city yep. inside of yes. Assyria. So it's like. Washington DC and America that's right or something like that. Yes. Okay. I just want to make sure Beijing
1: said which is, <laughs> which is code for China said sure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And you're saying that they have been oppressing Israel Israel. Yeah. yeah. Violently bloodthirstily, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, gruesomely right. And, they, and we talked in the Jonah podcast about some of the ways in which. The Assyrians were innovators in torture and brutality. Mm. Uh, They invented crucifixion. They had giant reliefs of beheadings and decorated their palaces with the entrails of their conquered foes. That's so intense. (laughs) It's really intense. And to those kind of oppressors, to those kind of bloodthirsty people... Nahum gives us a picture of God that has no patience left for them. Mm. There is, at the end of the book of Nahum, there is no um, gospel for Mm. Nineveh. There is nothing left to atone for their atrocities. Right. And it's really kind of dark. Yeah. But in that same moment where there is perfect, proportionate justice against bloodthirsty Nineveh, there is compassion in that God saves and rescues innocent Israel in the middle of it. Yeah. Um, Which
0: is funny that you said there's no good news for for Assyria, because there is actually good news for Israel, and we'll yeah. get there. But it actually says, "Hey, there's good news for you. Assyria is gonna die. It's gonna yeah. And it's like the wicked old witch is dead. Yes, <laughs> it's like that's right. Every, all the Munchkins are singing. That's it's, right. Yeah. So like, the, it, you kind of have to read. You the, have to you have to think about yourself as an oppressed nation. Yes, hearing that your oppressor is going to die, or else you're going to read this book and be very sad because it's yes. just gloomy. But what if all this gloom and doom was against
1: a very evil thing and you were the one being oppressed by it, it would sound very good to you. Yeah, I, he, I forget the exact quote, but Miroslav Volf talks about this idea and he says he grew up, you know, Czechoslovakia, yeah. uh, Czechs, the Civil War that this was happening. A, this is a Bible scholar, Mir, a Bible you, scholar. Miroslav Volf. So and yeah. he uh, talked about how he needed a God of vengeance, mm-hmm. of an avenging God after the brutality of what he saw there. And the idea that God wouldn't be avenging, that he wouldn't be angry at the rape and plunder of his nation uh, was a liberal construction or a privileged construction. I said like only privileged people can think about a God that has no avenging anger towards the level of injustice he experienced. Maybe
0: even putting it another way, it's like only oppressors don't need a God who judges the oppressors. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> right. They don't want a God. They who don't want a God, which is why thought. the Book of Nahum exists. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Cool. Uh, w- one helpful thing you've you've taught me in 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 looking at the Book of Nahum is as a sequel to the Book of Jonah. Yeah. Can you explain that? Yeah.
1: So one the the literary way to flag this yeah. is the Book of Jonah and the Book of uh, Nahum are the only two books of the Bible to end in a rhetorical question. Mm. Um. The book of jonah ends with a rhetorical question meant to remind the prophet the faithless prophet jonah of god's mercy yeah the book of nahum ends with a rhetorical question reminding the king of assyria of his violence wow um and what's interesting historically the reason why you should think of it as almost a sequel to the book of jonah is that in the book of jonah nineveh was on the up and up assyria was a growing superpower And was doing all sorts of violence. They were no less violent in those early years, but they had not yet conquered Israel. Yeah, but you could imagine
0: Israel's concern, if you had a a growing superpower coming up near you that was completely bloodthirsty and violent, you would have a lot of geopolitical concerns about that for your own safety, even if they weren't necessarily coming after you yet. Right. And And so that's why... Jonah doesn't want to go preach the gospel to them, doesn't want to go preach
1: salvation to them because he wants them to die because they propose such a threat, even though they're not actively attacking Israel yet. Right. Okay. And so God comes in and corrects Jonah's Mm -hmm. assessment of Assyria and said, no, I can have mercy even on a brutal nation like them. Yeah. And that's what the whole book is about. Right. Um, Should I not have mercy on Israel, Oh, Jonah? Yeah. Am I not right to show mercy on them is how the book
0: of Jonah ends. But then years progress and Assyria does grow more and more in power, more and more in their bloodthirsty violence, and turns the ship and t- turns their horns toward Israel herself. Mm-hmm. And they have conquered completely by this time the northern kingdom of Israel, mm-hmm. the ten tribes in the north, and are now setting their sights on Jerusalem, Judea, in the south. That's right. Okay.
1: That's exactly right. And... Um so one of the questions that i had at the end of the book of jonah which nahum answers mm. conveniently was like okay but in history assyria gets mercy for a time being There's this is great revival yeah and then what and then what happens what happens to them why do they suddenly get the book of nahum which is yeah. all judgment why does assyria no longer exist on right. the world map yeah did god just like change his mind one day
0: right yeah
1: um and what's interesting between the books of uh jonah and nahum, is the books (laughs) all these other minor prophets that talk about why assyria conquered israel in the first place Mm, right yes um the reason assyria conquered israel is because god was using assyria to judge israel for its own injustice and corruption right israel was supposed to be a blessing to all the nations and instead of being a blessing to all the nations it ended up Becoming like them. Becoming like them. Or worse than them. If yeah. If you look at Amos. If you look at Amos, exactly yeah. right. They're sacrificing their own children, oppressing the poor, and showing that there is nothing better in Israel than anywhere mm. else in the world. Right. Okay. It's, so
0: let, let me repeat this in, in, a, yeah. in a way. So in Jonah, in a sense, mm-hmm. you have, even though reluctantly and imperfectly, you have Israel doing what it's supposed to do. Uh, sending out a blessing to the nations. Yep. Even though it was, he didn't really want to, yeah, it Jonah eventually not, gets there. And gets it happened. gets there. Jonah. <laughs> Jonah blesses the nations. Yes, yes. And so it's like, oh, okay, they're exporting the blessings of God. And and this should all trigger our brains if you're you know, in your Bibles back to Genesis 12 and the calling of Abraham, right. the founding of the nation of Israel. And God says that he'll bless those who bless them and that he'll curse those who curse them and that Abraham's seed his children would bless all nations. And mm-hmm. like that word nations is the word Gentiles. Like yep. the whole world was going to be blessed through this people, Israel. Mm-hmm. And as they you know, became their, their own nation, they had their foibles and their troubles. But like by the time of Jonah, they're still exporting blessing, mm-hmm. <laughs> even against their own will. Yep. But um, as the time goes on, and we get to books like Amos, um, Israel looks worse than the nations. And they're mm-hmm. not exporting blessing, they're exporting curses. Yep. And they look worse than their neighbors. And so um, if, you, if you think about it, like one of the ways that Israel was going to bless the world was by clearing it up of evil. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at the conquest of Canaan and Joshua, and that's what they were doing. They were God's chosen instrument to go judge the nations. To
1: clean evil out of the world. To clean evil out of the world, clean evil out of the world yep.
0: uh, so that there would only be righteousness and peace mm-hmm. and equity in the world. Uh, they failed at that project so badly that they were becoming the cesspool of mm-hmm. inequality and, yep. and injustice. So now God has to raise up another nation to come yeah. clean them up. That's right. And that's what Assyria is.
1: Yeah, if you go and read As- uh, Isaiah 10, uh, the prophet Isaiah explains like the mind of God in choosing mm-hmm. Assyria. Assyria is the rod of my anger, and the staff in their hands is my fury. And against a godless nation, I send him, meaning the godless nation is Israel. Mm -hmm. And against the people of my wrath, I command him to take spoil and seize plunder and to tread them down like mire in the streets.
0: Yeah. And so God uses Assyria to come and judge Israel. But now in Nahum, Mm -hmm. the knife gets turned. Right. And Assyria, God's own instrument, is starting to be judged.
1: Yes. Why? Well because of their cruelty mm. in doing god's work okay
0: so they were being judged not for carrying out god's work against israel but for how they were carrying out god's work against israel that's right okay
1: god never tells them to kill children or to impale them or to slaughter them or disembowel them or put their heads on pikes god never all of, all of which they were doing all of which they did <laughs> oh my god. um what God is judging them for their crimes against humanity. Yeah. Which is an interesting thing. We've talked about off air a few different times. God always judges Israel according to the standard of his law. Uh But to the nations that don't have that standard, he judges them against their crimes against
0: the image of God Mm. in other human beings. Things they should have known were wrong just by being human.
1: Yes. Yeah. Uh, And they don't. Mm. And so the reason why God, one of the reasons why God is coming to judge Assyria is because of their inhumanity against Israel. And as you read the book of Nahum, that will be the major note Mm. that Nahum brings up over and over and over again. They make plots against God. They have vile behavior. They shed blood. They lie and they plunder. They enslave other nations. They have the sin of presumption. They lure weaker nations uh, uh, and they carry them as prey into their own lion's den. So it's like, there's all this like, Language of injustice and cruelty and political brutality that Nahum uses, when a lot of other prophets are much more happy to talk about idolatry, especially right. within Israel,
0: right? Because that's their biggest sin.
1: That's right. And it's
0: also they they often identified as the root of other types of oppression. Yeah. it kind of all starts with idolatry with Israel. Right. Out, so though, outside though, it's like these crimes against humanity. Yes. They haven't been commanded to worship one true God and signed a covenant with their blood that says we will.
1: Israel should have been that city on the hill so they would have known better. Yes. But that's not the primary focus of the book of Nahum and okay. why God is bringing judgment against them.
0: Okay. So, I mean, we've stumbled into some deep waters here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and like, I mean, one thing that we've just said is that God raises up nations to punish other nations.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, like,
0: yeah, (laughs) that's a big, that's like a, a, and we're going to talk about one of the ways God is going to then execute what he has promised to do in Nahum is by raising up another nation, the nation of Babylon to to come and conquer Assyria. Yep. Right. Yeah. And then he's going to use Babylon later to finish off Jerusalem. That's right. And so it's like some people might be hearing this for the first time, this idea of God raising up and orchestrating mm-hmm. armies and kings and nations and politics and mm-hmm. war strategies mm-hmm. in order to carry out his purposes here on earth. Mm-hmm. If you were thinking about somebody hearing that for the first time, like,
1: yeah, okay, yes. Like, what do we need to say to them? I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking like. Yeah, I'm thinking this. Whenever, as the Hebrew Bible unfolds, mm. God decides to deal with a nation. Right. And a nation as a corporate thing is supposed to represent his will to the world mm-hmm. and bless the world. And so a lot of the rest of the old Testament, after the mo- that moment on Mount Sinai, when Israel, the people of Abraham become a nation is conducted on a national scale. Mm-hmm. So you, the way that God orchestrates correction with his people happens on a national level, the way, right. that, like, the way that God functions throughout the most of the Hebrew Bible is on a national level, right. in many sense. Does that start to answer your question? Yeah, it does. I mean, I'm already thinking about
0: the difference between how he executed justice against his people in the wilderness, in mm-hmm. Numbers, versus mm-hmm. here in Nahum. Yeah. Like, in Numbers, he opens up the ground and swallows them. Yeah. Right? Like, right. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> That's pretty crazy, yeah. And it's like instead of using the elemental forces of the world, he's using people—people mm-hmm. people that he, through prophets like Jonah, are is actually trying to save, yeah—and like bless and and like mm-hmm. do good right. through. Um, okay, so I think that makes sense. Why? Why nations? Why armies? Well, because he chose an, a nation mm-hmm. that has an army, and like he's working then- with people inside of political systems. So I guess the next kind of question that might be ringing in other people's heads and that's ringing in mine is the idea of like God's ability to do that, that, right. That God is able to orchestrate armies and, and change right. the will of Kings. Cause it's like in order for what, ha- what God promises in Nahum to be true and to happen, God has to know that he's going to be able to move the heart of the Babylonian king to come to, to Assyria, f- to finish whatever other yeah. skirmish and agenda right. he has over in another part of the world and right. bend his attention here. And that means, well, that means their nation's going to have to get a certain amount of resources mm-hmm. that children are going to have to be born to be ro- risen to up be the to the generals. Of that, generals. Uh, yeah. and so, I mean, so many things, millions of things have to happen for this to occur. Right. And so like, I, I just, I just want to just put on people's plates. I guess that like yeah.
1: this means that God is sovereign over everything. Yeah. In order for Nahum to be Nahum, yeah. Nahum never has a problem with saying God controls the way nations move. Isaiah doesn't have a problem. None of the prophets have a problem no. with it because their prophecies are based on the idea right. that God is in control of the movement of nations. That the most powerful thing in the world is not politics. Mm-hmm. But God, yes, and that's why when nah- and Nahum like prophesies accurately the way in which Nineveh falls, mm-hmm. um, uh, he talks about Nineveh being flooded, mm-hmm. which is exactly what the Babylonian army did. It they diverted the Tigris River into Nineveh and flooded the city, <laughs> and he predicted that. <laughs> that's in, crazy in, uh, in uh, Nahum too. Wow. So uh, yeah. So
0: I think that's the other thing I just wanted to put on. It's like in, in in stepping into the biblical worldview mm-hmm. it if you were just in the world at the time that this was written you might have been like you might have been thinking like uh, oh as the king of Babylon starts coming into Syria oh here's all these political reasons he's choosing to do that and yeah. you know if the if the news coverage was out there they would all be speculating on why has Babylon turned against Assyria and all this stuff yeah but behind the scenes in the prophetic worldview the biblical worldview is that God was turning the hearts of nations to accomplish his own will so' you're yeah. saying like in bringing this up, we are granting the absolute sovereignty of God <laughs> over the events of
1: the world. Yeah, uh, it's just a big deal that some people don't often think about. So right? Yeah, politics it. are always in God's hand. Yeah, like that's never not on the line yeah. in Scripture. The movement of kings is always up to God's purview. That's everywhere within Scripture. It's difficult to get around it. Yeah, um, and I think something else is on the line okay. in this as well. Um, God's like. Character and name is on the line Mm. in all of this. Why is that? Um, Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations Uh and to bless the world. Why? So that all people would know the goodness and greatness and holiness of God, the God who saved Israel Mm. out of slavery. The light of Israel was God, the liberating God of justice and equity for all people. I see. So not only is the mission of God on the line mm-hmm. in that Israel's not blessing all
0: nations, and therefore God's light is not going to the nations. Right. But God Himself and His name and His reputation is on the line because if His nation, Israel, yes, dies and or or it like shows Him to the world as mm-hmm. something terrible through all their evil, yeah, then. Or is completely consumed by Assyria, I guess, is the Mm -hmm. context of Nahum. Right. Then what happened to Yahweh if his people died? Right. Okay.
1: And what happens to the God who is supposed justice when a wicked nation like Assyria conquers God's own people? Right. God's name is still on the line. I thought you were God of justice. And yet you're allowing this wicked nation to come and conquer your own people? No, he's raising up another nation to conquer that one. I see. Like either way, like whether it's Israel being corrected for her sins or the nations being corrupted for their inhumanity, God is still being proven mm. as the God of justice and holiness that he revealed himself to be in the book of Exodus when yeah. he made Israel a nation.
0: And I was even thinking the book of Exodus with like, why did he judge Pharaoh? Why the Red Sea? Why the yeah, plains? Yeah. Like he tells Moses it's for his own name's sake mm-hmm. so that Pharaoh would know that I yeah. am the Lord. Yeah, And so it's like that's why he does what he does mm-hmm. here is if I let an evil, bloodthirsty nation overrun my kingdom, mm-hmm. no one in the world will know that I am a good, just God who hates what they're doing. Mm-hmm. That's and so right. he's doing it for his own name and character's yeah. and fame's sake. Right. So okay. let me ask you another question. Okay.
1: Why not do it more directly what do you mean wouldn't it make more people worship god if god just came down and just destroyed assyria with an army of visible angels Mm. why go through all the political drama of raising up another nation to make his own battle plans to come in and then you can just hop and then did god do that or did babylon do that right now we always have the question yeah about who's really in control of the moment. Why didn't God just show up? Right. Why does he hide behind the politics of Babylon to prove that Assyria's cruelty is bad?
0: That's a very good question. (laughs) I I think I have three answers. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly, you've thought about this before. uh,
1: (laughs) So one,
0: I would say, didn't he? When Assyria and Sennacherib's army was destroyed outside the walls of Israel in Hezekiah's day, Mm -hmm. he just killed like how many? 185,000 people with no 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 army to show for it yeah so he did do that Mm -hmm. he has done that uh when joshua was in battle and meteors Mm -hmm. fell from the sky god god does do this sometimes Mm -hmm. um the the other thing i would say is i was reminded of the story in the new testament where um you have the rich man and lazarus Uh and and the rich man kind of asked the same question you asked he's like Man, if only my brothers knew this place existed, this place of Hades existed, that there was actually like if I could warn them. Mm-hmm. Uh if you would just send an angel to them, a physical angel like of God would go and warn them, then they would believe, right? Mm-hmm. And and Jesus right. and and Jesus or Moses, I think it's Moses that yeah, it says yeah. it in the story or Abraham or something. Uh it says in the story is like even if an angel from God goes and tells them they won't believe they have the word of God and that's all they need. That's what mm. convicts hearts is like the, I don't, I don't think we have a fully formed understanding mm. of how hard our hearts are yeah. that apparently the new Testament says we entertain angels every day, you know, and like, right, right. we still don't see them or believe in them. So I actually don't think it would matter. Um, and then third, because I think um, there's something complex about the nature of God uh, and his dealings with humanity, and there's something about the way he works with humanity that gives him more glory mm-hmm. to work through humans in orchestra with them. Um, that that gives him more glory and 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 presents his character to us in the way he wants it presented. There's something about him not wanting to just like show up and just yeah. Execute. I was
1: I think I, the way I was thinking about that last point. I was like. What takes what would take God m- more effort not that mm-hmm. I, don't, I, I, don't yeah. God, I don't think anything takes God, it God's tired yeah but like what feels more impressive to me as a human right if God showed up with some angels no. yeah or <laughs> if he orchestrated the entire political drama right. of the Mesopotamian world yeah to make it that Assyria was judged for her cruelty it's spectacular I and mean, so I'm like I'm, I'm also wondering like I wonder if we're also supposed to see like I think the fact that God uses nation proves the point that I'm saying is dismissed by the fact that he doesn't come up with 100,000 right. angels. Right? Like, no, like to do, to control the politics of the world requires only one being, only one being can do that. Yeah. And that is God. I think one last thing I think is actually
0: the most clear I can think of it from a biblical theological standpoint is what you're asking to happen is for the new heavens and earth to happen now what you're asking for is for God to rule on earth. Mm -hmm. That's not here yet. We are in the kingdom of man and the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of man are fighting. Mm -hmm. And uh, God does not dwell on the earth right now. You know, like he will in the new heavens and new earth and he will execute perfect justice then. But he doesn't now maybe because Mm -hmm. this is actually what will afford more people salvation. Why Mm -hmm. does God just come and execute all the wicked people right now? Because then fewer would be saved. Hmm. But whenever he lets Assyria be part of his plan and lets Babylon be part of his plan, some remnant inside of them wake up and come to faith in Yahweh. Yeah, There's like a kindness in that. And we're talking about the wrong dispensation. We're talking about like the wrong time. It's not the time for God to live on earth right now. Hmm. We are... We are in our own kingdom right now, in a sense. Yeah. The kingdom of heaven's breaking in.
1: Well, it makes me think, like, I don't understand God showing up with angels. I do understand power and politics. So, in a way, this is God speaking our language. He's speaking our language. Yes. So, we've come up with lots of reasons. We've come up with lots of reasons. <laughs> well, no, that's helpful. It's um, it's helpful for me just to continue to process why does God work, work in, this way, work this way yeah. and why do the prophets seem so blasé about it that it's assumed that god is control like they're not arguing with it they're not questioning it they're just assuming god is in control of it uh i mean
0: think about this though what's funny is we're asking a question they they don't even understand to ask uh because number one this is the way god works they assume Mm -hmm. that but then they you have all these theophanic visions which are just like pictures, prophetic pictures of God showing up yeah, yeah, yeah. and they actually explain the coming of the Babylonian army or the coming of the Assyrian army mm. as God showing up in glory and destroying mm. his enemies. Right. It's like, and God steps out of heaven and the mountains melt yeah, with yeah, wax. Yeah. And it's like, so actually he's doing what you're asking him to do. Mm -hmm. but we just don't have the prophetic eyes to see that that's actually what's taking place.
1: And I think that's part of prophetic literature. It's supposed to reveal what's actually going on behind the scenes. So cool. It's not just predictions of the future. It's like, It's the divine perspective on human action in the world. Yes. There's nations fighting against nations. Political craziness is happening everywhere. But Nahum comes in and says, this is what's happening behind the scenes. The reason Assyria is going to be conquered is because they've been so cruel to Israel. And God is coming to, to leave no justice left undone.
0: Okay, so we kind of zoomed out to lay the foundation for the book of Nahum, the political environment, and the theology behind what like, that kind of makes it all possible. Right. Uh, now let's dive into the book itself. Uh, can you walk us through how the book is laid out? Kind of give us a general structure.
1: Yes, there's two ways. To, two ways to kind of understand the book of Nahum as either four uh, oracles of doom against Nineveh combined with oracles of salvation for Israel. Okay. So you can think about. Four and four. Okay, that's that's what that's what happens, or rather, that by God's oracle of doom against Nineveh, that is itself salvation for Israel. Right? Like the reason why innocent Israel is saved is because their guilty oppressors are are judged. Are judged. They are no more. Okay. Um, So that's one way to think about it. Another way to think about it is chapter one and chapters two and three. Okay. So chapter one is Nahum's uh, prayer by Nahum. Okay. He sees a vision of God coming in glory and he asks God to act on Israel's behalf. Mm-hmm. And then Nahum two and three is prophecies about what Nineveh's fall will look like. Mm-hmm. So chapter one is a petition and a prayer. Chapters two and three are prophecies describing what will happen so, to like Nineveh.
0: Prayer, prayer, or
1: sorry, chapter one,
0: prayer asked. Yes. Chapters two and three, prayer answered. Yes. Okay.
1: Yes. That's a pretty simple way to understand okay. it. I, You know. Simplicity. And, and what's interesting, it's Nahum is a interesting book, in and who's it written to? Is it written for Nineveh's sake or for Israel's sake? Yeah. If you read chapter one, it seems like it's for Israel's sake. Two and three, it seems like it's for Nineveh's sake, warning them what's going to happen unless they repent, unless they change their ways.
0: Right. They don't. Yeah, because Israel would need this kind of oracle. Because they think they're doomed. Mm-hmm. And they're like, is God even on our side? Is he going to do anything? Is his name going to go away forever? Are we going to go away forever? He's like, no, Assyria is going to be judged. But then Assyria needs this oracle. And giving Assyria this oracle is a measure of mercy in itself. Yeah, God did not have to warn them about their upcoming demise. He could have just done it and would have been just to do so. But what's interesting about this is, in a way, Nahum is like a new Jonah because he is bringing a warning mm-hmm. to evil Assyria. Yeah. And this time he's doing it willingly. Uh, but like, we don't really get to hear the full content of Jonah's sermon unless that really was it.
1: Yeah. If you haven't listened to our Jonah podcast, go back. Jonah delivers a five word sermon reluctantly <laughs> to the people he doesn't want saved. Nahum gives two whole chapters of right. the people of warning them of the coming destruction. Yeah. So it's like, I almost but, like to yeah. playfully, don't quote
0: me on this, yeah. you know, but I, I kind of like to playfully think about, Nahum as the full prophecy that Jonah should have given.
1: Yeah, yeah, (laughs) you know, the Uh, willing prophecy Jonah should have given. (laughs) And so um, yeah, because I think what you're saying here is that it's not just that it's inevitable. Nineveh will fall no hope for them. Uh, If that were true, why would this book exist? Right. Part of the function of prophecy isn't just to prophesy future events but prophesy future events in hopes that they would not be. Right, God doesn't want. God desires all people to be saved, yes. even Ninevites. That's what the book of Jonah was all, all about. about. Right, this prophecy is supposed to help Nineveh repent. Right, I mean, look back at Jonah again. Right, the book of Jonah
0: does not offer an if-then. Right, right. It's right. not a if you repent, then you mm-hmm. will be saved. It's just like doom du- is coming. Yeah, forty days, you will be overturned. And they're like, okay, let's repent. Yeah, that wasn't even the table. It's like, but that's the purpose of prophecy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the same reason why I would say to my my son Ezra about to run out into the street. I would say, Ezra, there's a car coming. Yeah. I don't say unless you stop and come back, you will be run over. Right. And I just say a car's coming, and he yeah. knows that means action is
1: required. Yeah. So uh, yeah. Yeah, and don't I think, run into the street. I mean, we haven't didn't define prophecy at the beginning of this podcast. Yeah. So maybe it's helpful to do it again. Prophecy is either the correct explanation of God, like is the correct explanation of God's covenant, right? And mm. taking God's covenant, which was I will bless the world through Israel, right. and if you fail to that, this is what's gonna happen, and then extrapolating out what that looks like to current circumstances. To current circumstances. And what's happening right now? God's covenant has been broken by Israel, corrections come through Assyria, and now God's covenant will continue by bringing justice against them and he's interpreting the political landscape with the all this covenant like law stuff back from Exodus. Right. Does and that,
0: like yeah, and and I think prophecy is also like that that, that that's the that's the mind of the prophet
1: and yeah. the power of the prophet is that they're hearing the words of God and saying mm-hmm. them. Yes. Right. Yeah, it's not self-evidently clear that Babylon's rise to power right. is because of God's hand. Yeah, you would you would need God's Revelation. Yeah, you would need his perspective, right? In you order, you, to, wouldn't, you
0: wouldn't just be able to read Deuteronomy. You would be not like, be able
1: to read the newspapers of Mesopotamia during yes, era and figure all this out. Yeah, you, and
0: so it's yeah that that human report of divine revelation guided by the covenant.
1: Yes. Okay. And that the reason why we set all that up was what is Why is Nahum giving the prophecy? Why is he interpreting the covenant for this this period of time? is so the covenant might be obeyed again. Right. So that there would be repentance, that people, that Israel would return to be the city on a hill. It was supposed to be, that the nations would come to it and that the world would be blessed. That's why Nahum's writing at bottom. Right. Not just to, because he wants to see Nineveh burn. Yeah, I mean,
0: you could, I mean, imagine the, the landscape for a second. Nahum could have easily given the exact same excuse that Jonah gave. You know, where it's like God comes to him and he's like, hey, I'm planning to destroy Assyria. And imagine if a global superpower had wiped out 80% of your country and then was coming for the capital. And then God comes and says, I'm going to stop them. Don't worry. You'd be like, sweet. This is great news. And he's like, cool. Go warn them that I'm going to destroy them. And then you would be like Jonah being like, no, I don't want to warn them. Right. Because what if they repent? And then what? They get off scot-free for destroying 80% of our nation? You know, like
1: you yeah. could
0: easily see Nahum offering that you, you retort could, here. Yes, but he doesn't. He faithfully goes and warns them.
1: Yeah, it's it's significant that Assyria doesn't repent. It is, yeah. yeah. It, it, Six twelve BC, Nineveh burns. Well, drowns <laughs> yeah, and drown. burns. <laughs> drowns. <laughs> it should. It, it, it it's it it's well, the other it way around. Drowns <laughs> and then Babylon takes it over. Right. Do you know who sits on the throne? Who uh, once this Nineveh, uh, named Nineveh, crumbles? No. Um, Nebuchadnezzar's father Oh For the book of Daniel
0: Ah uh, yes Yes
1: So it's like That's the storyline of the Bible okay. Progressing yeah. anyway Crazy Okay So
0: Okay so you said then Chapter one is the prayer And you and it starts with a vision
1: Yeah And I think what chapter one Should also do for you As you read it Is should give you The ways to think about The whole letter And so it's like the, the question I wrote down As we're outlining this podcast Was like Who is God In Nahum Yeah. And I think he gives us three different answers to that question, which I think will also lead us to three different ways to see Jesus in this. Okay. As well.
0: Okay. So
1: what are those ways? Well, verse two, (laughs) the Lord is jealous and avenging. The Lord is avenging and wrathful and takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. Okay. The Lord. Yeah. So that's verse two. So the first who is God who, to name him? Who, who is God? He yeah. is jealous and avenging. Mm.
0: I mean, imagine, though, imagine you're Israel, you're, you're Jerusalem, mm-hmm. and the global superpower is breathing down your neck, and you're like, who is God? Is, is he forgetful and merciless? Right. Like, is he lazy and apathetic? Because we're about to die. And then this prophet shows up, and he says, no, God is is jealous and avenging mm-hmm. and he is wrathful and he's going to take vengeance. You're like, thank God, <laughs> literally thank right. God. Yeah. Uh, so it's like, that's be,
1: this is what yeah. the oppressed Israel needs to hear. Yeah. That God <laughs> is jealously passionate mm. and will avenge the wrong done against them. And they I want to, yeah,
0: and yeah, they do. And I want to lean into, to like, if anyone's thinking like that's reductionistic to say, God is blank. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, there's two things I want to point out to you here.
1: And with reductionist meaning,
0: like, what do you mean that, like, in this context, God's not wrathful; He's loving, right, 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 right. Or like, yes, okay, yeah, He's describing something He's going to do, but that's not who God is, right? And, and I'm like, and I'm not saying that's all God is either, but like, He is trying to reveal something about His character here, and I say that for two reasons. Mm-hmm. One is because He's repeating His covenant name.
1: Yes. Can we get to that in a second? Oh yes. Because I want to land on jealousy and avenging. Oh great. Before getting to the divine name. Deal. Because I th- and I think they they'll talk yeah, to Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they will. But um let's talk about the word jealousy for a second. Oh, yes. Okay. So what does it mean? Who is God in Nahum? God is jealous. Yeah. Um I think we normally think of jealousy in a negative light. It's an evil green sin. We are jealous for things that are not ours. Yeah, and but, we're jealous for them for our own sake. Right. I think the biblical way to understand jealousy, or at least how it comes to God, it he's passionate for something that's rightfully his. Mm. Like jealousy re- refers to this deep passion that God has that What is his is protected and remains his. Um, It's not petty. Mm. It's like he, these are his children. This is his nation. These are his people. They are his, and he wants them for himself. He does not want Assyria to conquer them. He is passionate in avenging the wrongs done against them. And so I just want to like put that, say that positively. Yeah. As strong. I mean, and like I think we don't have a problem with the word Avengers after like the Avengers movies. <laughs> so it's like I think feel like I could lean on that word, just even yeah. just more popular. Like right. he is a passionate Avenger. Yeah. For his people. And he is wrathful. Mm. What's funny about that word is the 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 Hebrew says he is the master of wrath Hmm. he has mastered the art of wrath is another way to say it he perfectly executes his anger against injustice Hmm. and evil which is another reason why he probably works
0: through babylon instead of doing Mm -hmm. it how you and i would come up with it why doesn't god just send a bunch of angels right oh because i'm way smarter at using wrath right yeah Yeah.
1: (laughs) and what's really interesting as you go through the last two chapters of nahum beat for beat um nineveh gets what nineveh dished out mm. so i'll just give you one example okay. in uh nineveh in uh, nahum uh three okay. chapter or verse um eight it okay. says this are you better than thebes that sat by the nile with water around her her rampart of sea her water her wall egypt was her strength Yet she became an exile. She went into captivity. Her infants were dashed to pieces at the head of every street, and her honored men were cast out, bound in chariots. You also, and he goes on to say, this will happen to you. Uh, so so they, they did that to Egypt? So yeah, in 668 or 664, or uh-huh. 663, Assyria, at Ashurbanipal, the uh-huh. same leader that Nahum's talking to right here, conquered the city of Thebes uh. and killed the infants in that place. He ransack the, the city and Nahum's saying what you dished out yeah you will receive back he yeah. god is the master of justice the master of his anger in such a way that exactly what mm-hmm. you do
0: will be repaid right exactly what you deserve you will get
1: that's that's and right
0: I mean, to to like double down on the point that he's a master of wrath mm-hmm. it's interesting that it happens in egypt because in a in a sense, Assyria is judging Egypt for killing Israel's children, uh-huh. and the chain the chain of justice is continuing. Yeah, it's
1: like like yeah, eye even, for eye. That's exactly right. If you're a proud nation, by a proud nation, you'll be judged. You right. think you're the superpower of the world? The newest superpower will overcome you. You think you have the most money? A nation with more money will come against There's you. There's always a bigger fish. There's always a bigger fish. <laughs> Qui Gon Jin. Qui Gon Jin. Episode one. <laughs> Phantom menace. Phantom menace <laughs> the Star best Wars. of the Star Wars. Oh my gosh. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. It needs to be said that we do not believe that. Stop it. <laughs>
0: okay. Yeah. Um yeah. Okay, so jealous, avenging, wrathful. Yes. That's how he's defined himself. Yeah. And yeah, uh, and jealous is a can is can be a really good thing, mm-hmm. right? Like 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 you were saying, avenging. The Avengers are it's nice to have Thanos not get off with right. you know, killing half the world. And then Wrathful is proportionate. And he's mm-hmm. a master over it. Yeah. he's not we think about wrathful you're mastered by wrath and you get angry right god is a master of wrath
1: yeah and he uses it perfectly i was reading one commentator and he just talked about how and it goes back to the point you made before it's like uh but wasn't isn't god love mm. like right like right, right, right. We're, none of god's actions in the world are unqualified by his himself right his other attributes yes. and he just talked about how god's anger towards nineveh is qualified by his faithfulness to israel Mm. he's promised to protect israel and he's promised to judge people who are in in, inhumanely cruel and he's doing so he is has a passion his anger is tempered or qualified not tempered but qualified by his passionate love for his own and it's also qualified by his perfect justice and not only that, and this goes back into the, into what you were saying about the divine name, but that He is slow to anger. Mm-hmm. Remember, how many decades ago the same message get preached to Nineveh? Right. Like Nineveh has had decades and decades and decades to go away from this path, and it has refused to. Right. He God's
0: is slow to anger.
1: God's current wrath against Assyria has been slow, so that it might repent, and it has not. Right.
0: Yeah, this did not happen overnight. Nahum did not happen overnight. Right. Yeah. Um, yes. And so so yeah, what I was saying is like I think we can we can feel comfortable, maybe not comfortable is the right word. We should we should open up ourselves to mm-hmm. receive these words as descriptive of God Himself. Mm-hmm. And I was saying that for two reasons. One is they're repeating the covenant name of God here. The, you know, it's not God is, it's Yahweh is mm-hmm. these things. Yeah. This is who he is. And it's like the, I am that I am is this, Mm uh, and, uh, but then not only that, he then transitions into quoting Exodus where God himself expands on the meaning of his own name. So Moses asks God to reveal himself to him on Mount Mm -hmm. Sinai. And God says, yes, I will let all my goodness pass by you. And I will proclaim my name to you, which is Yahweh. Mm -hmm. And he, and so God passes by the cleft of the rock shows Moses his radiant glory and as Moses is burying himself in the dirt in fear and (laughs) over being overwhelmed, God says his name to Moses. But he doesn't just say, My name's Yahweh, (laughs) right? He expands on what his name means, Mm -hmm. and it's the longest self-description of God by God
1: in the Bible. Do you want me to read it? Yes, please. Says Yahweh Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of their parents to the third and fourth generation. Yeah. Um, what's interesting about this... So, we have that we just read. And it's full of how he's slow to anger and forgiving mm-hmm. and all this stuff. When this is recorded elsewhere, it also says that while... It, the guilty are punished to the third and fourth generation. Forgiveness is offered for hundreds of right. generations. God's like,
0: I am going to by no means clear the guilty, but I, my my forgiveness runs to a thousand generations, whereas my wrath runs to three or
1: four. Right, and the, the point is that he's fair yeah. in, in that. Right, he is and more, merciful. Is, he's more merciful than he is wrathful, yes. is how you're supposed to take away from That's that. Right. But what's interesting is in the way in Exodus, when it describes God, God's more merciful than he's wrathful. Yes. Nahum edits he does. God's self-description to focus on
0: his anger. Yeah, verse 3. Yahweh is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in the whirlwind and the storm, referring back to mm-hmm. Sinai when God yeah. showed up. Yeah. And he's like, he, he gives you that he is slow to anger, but that's almost as a warning now. He's like, right. he's been slow in doing this. Remember Jonah? Yeah, remember Jonah? Remember these years you've had? So he will by no means clear by no means clear the guilty, um, and so yeah he is he's edited it down to be like this part of God is coming to you. Yeah, um,
1: you've taken advantage of God's grace for long enough. So his anger is coming towards you now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. How do we see Jesus mm-hmm. as a jealous, <laughs> avenging, wrathful? Slow to anger, but by no means pardoning the guilty. Right. God.
0: Yeah, because I think this is one of those moments um, in the Bible where people come to and very easily ask the question, um, "Man, I just feel like Jesus is not like the God of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. I feel like they're so different." Yeah. Um. So, but it's not. It's that's not the case. Yeah, uh, I think
1: one thing we haven't said, mm-hmm. which we probably should say in this turn, is, "Who is he jealous towards?" And who is he avenging against?
0: Oh, right. Uh, yeah, yeah I, there's two ways to answer that question. <laughs>
1: right. So like he is jealous for his people uh-huh. and angry at those not his people, those that are committing atrocities against his people. Yeah. Um, and in Jesus, I think we see that same dichotomy. Mm. Jesus isn't just blanketly wrathful at whoever comes around him. Right. He's compassionate towards some, Well, fiercely angry at the abuse of power of the Pharisees. Woe
0: to you, Pharisees. Yeah.
1: That's exactly right. So you had said two ways to answer that. Did you have another way to answer that? I did
0: because, yeah, he's also jealous for his own name's sake. For the sake of my name, he's jealous that, yeah, that the world will not see him for who he is uh, because who he is is so good. Yeah. Um, And he's, um, yeah, and yeah. what was the other question? He's wrathful or avenging against Uh, what? Was that the other question you asked?
1: No, I didn't. I don't think I asked. Okay. But yeah,
0: he's jealous for himself, too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, So how do we see Jesus as this picture? Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, is it possible to? Yeah. I mean, number one, I think you've nailed it already is that I think it's just so easy for us to like forget the moments when Jesus gets wrathful in Mm -hmm. the Gospels, plainly wrathful. Like, woe to you, Pharisees. Mm -hmm. You know, you make people twice the son of hell that you are. You're going to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the sea. Does that sound like kind sweet jesus
1: he no he flips over the tables in the temple he makes a whip (laughs) he starts whipping and who is he wrathful towards right the pharisees who took advantage of god's people true faithful worshipers trying to come to the temple and worship god humbly and rightly and they're exploiting them excluding
0: them making them feel guilty making them adhere to the traditions of man and not the covenant of god and this makes jesus angry mm-hmm. and he he's a zeal for the house of the Lord consumes him uh or think about how how he's described whenever he sees Lazarus his friend dead yeah. like what's that he's he, it's like he snorts like a like a, oh ember yeah. my yeah, it's a yeah, yeah, yeah. uh,
1: he well, it just it's just deeply moved in most translations right but it, it, it means both it means angry yeah it's it's like a horse like breathing out and pawing at the ground yeah he's angry at death yeah wrathful at death and because he's wrathful at death he raises lazarus out of the grave right and so uh but but i want but like let's think about a god
0: who's jealous for his people like i'm jealous for my wife Mm -hmm. i think one can be consumed
1: with jealousy where Mm -hmm. it's like what were you doing where were you well that's just wicked because you're in it's like you're jealous for something that's not rightfully yours yeah. versus your wife doesn't deserve you her full attention right always yeah she should go do things yes yeah <laughs>
0: but it's like if my wife cheated on me and i knew it and i was i hadn't done
1: anything wrong like i would be very jealous an appropriate jealousy and, of, and i would yeah
0: i would be wrathful <laughs> like mm-hmm. i would I yeah anyway right and, and so like I want God to feel that way towards me. I want Mm -hmm. God to love me. Like I love my wife, you know? Yeah. And so like to think about Jesus being drawn to us like a jealous lover and, um, that he is bringing wrath against that, which is keeping us from him. Mm -hmm. And that he is avenging us away from the things that are keeping us from him. Like that's what he, that's what he's doing on the cross Mm -hmm. is like, it's a jealous lover, like being a master of wrath. Yeah. Uh, i was
1: thinking about um kind of the way that i i started this this moment about who is he wrathful towards Mm. and who is he compassionate towards um Mm -hmm. before the pharisees even meet jesus john the baptist is wrathful
0: towards the pharisees and he
1: says you brood of vipers who warned you to flee flee. from the coming wrath wrath the axe referring to jesus is at the root of the trees and every Mm -hmm. tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire like john the baptist understood jesus as the no tolerance for injustice god Mm. that nahum describes yes he saw the abusive religion of the pharisees he calls it for what it is and he says there's a wrath coming for you in jesus that will wipe you out entirely
0: makes good on that promise
1: he does yeah in even jesus in luke 4 how does he begin his ministry he talks about his, that he's coming to the oppressed and to the poor and preaching good news to the marginalized of mm, Israel, yeah. not right. preaching good news to the oppressors of Israel. Right. He's coming in compassion towards the lowly and the yep. humble and the taken advantage of, and he's coming in wrath against the abusive powers of his day. Yeah, yeah. I think that's
0: the earthly ministry of Jesus. How he's described, how he acts towards evil, mm-hmm. is a is a perfect way to see how he's God like this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we can also see that in revelation Mm -hmm. in how he comes again, Mm -hmm. right? He's going to come in wrath and vengeance as a jealous lover, ready to do what Israel like was supposed to do, which was to Mm -hmm. clear the world of wickedness.
1: Yeah. This is something we haven't talked about yet Mm -hmm. because as we move on from the very first verses of Nahum, sprinkled in with these prophecies of judgment against Nineveh are also promises of restoration and refuge for Israel. Yes. Like, in the moment that he judges Nineveh, rescue for Israel is secured. Yeah, Peace for Israel I mean, is they,
0: secured. They're inevitably tied together. Right. Like, he, a judgment of the oppressor necessarily liberates the oppressed.
1: Right. His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. The rocks of the strongholds of the oppressors. Uh-huh but the Lord is good and he's a stronghold in the day of trouble mm. for those who know him and take refuge in him. Yeah. The refuge, when the refuge of the evil ones, the corrupt ones are brought down, the refuge of the righteous ones are the ones that are left. The yeah. innocent ones are left and they can be safe finally because of that. And so your point, what happens on the last day, there's no evil left, right? All the innocent, all the righteous, those who trust in Jesus bring, come to him for refuge. Why is that? like it's they're safe. Yeah. They're
0: finally safe. Right, there's a refuge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the stronghold of the wicked has been torn down, there is now a refuge for the innocent. Yeah. Yeah, and that's really good news. Um and I think like if it doesn't feel like good news, mm-hmm. it's it, either it's our inability to explain which it well, is very possible. <laughs> but if you are understanding what we're saying yeah. and it doesn't feel like good news, it's probably because you're closer to Assyria in this book Mm -hmm. than you are to the oppressed israelites which is like understandable in terms of like that's kind of who i am too Mm -hmm. like i have far more in common with assyria than i do with israel here right from a from a from a
1: political where i live standpoint yeah like my you benefit from the wealth of a nation that has that is a superpower yeah a superpower that, that is
0: it. oppressing other nations to get their goods and mine their land. Yeah, and I have a I have a, a, a chip with precious metals in my iPhone mm-hmm. that other people were exploited to get, and I wrestle with that every day. And I yeah. should probably stop.
1: Well, I was you know what I mean. Like, yeah. It's yeah. Like, well, I was also thinking about. I was reading another commentator, and they were talking about the British Empire. Mm. It was its success was built on colonialism. Right. Yeah. They don't have those colonies anymore. At least most of them. Um, yet they're still a superpower. Yet they're still a superpower because of it. And they would also say that the way that they treated their colonies in the past was evil and corrupt. Right. But they'll but they also look down on other nations trying to grow in power by using those same resources. Uh-huh. So they, they grew to power through corruption and colonization yeah. tell others they cannot do that but how else would they do so yeah. you know what i mean yeah, like yeah, yeah. there's like uh, uh, not 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 i'm not defending colonialism yeah. for, <laughs> for the african nations that want to rise up but i um the point i think might have been clear
0: <laughs> yeah and so uh i mean the point we're trying to make is the world is full of oppressors
1: yeah and it's and good news that one day they'll it's be good gone. news
0: that they'll be gone yeah and like we need to position ourselves like when jesus comes since jesus comes against and brings his wrath against mm-hmm. the oppressed yeah um it's it's
1: let, it's good to side with them yeah let, let me maybe go to the very end of the book of Nehemiah. back right. to that rhetorical question so the very end is this kind of funeral dirge against the king of uh assyria okay is I
0: mean, it is it supposed to be like hey king you're about let me let me Let's come to your own funeral, so you can see what your death is going to look like, and maybe you'll change. Yeah, the
1: image is of the king of Assyria gasping for breath on a nearby mountaintop with whatever's left of his army. Oh my gosh! It's like sh- the ghost of Christmas future. Yeah. <laughs> your shepherds are asleep, O king of Israel of Assyria. Your nobles slumber. Your peoples are scattered on the mountains, and there's none left to gather them. There's no easing your hurt. Your wound is incurable, and all who hear the news about you clap their hands over you for who upon the earth has not seen your unceasing evil or your unceasing cruelty is mm. I think how the NID says it. That, so yeah, the king's dying on a mountain,
0: his empire has
1: been decimated and the people of the world are cheering. Right. Because who on earth hasn't experienced oppression before? Right. The, the book of Nahum places its readers as the oppressed minority. Right. and, we are meant to rejoice as a oppre- the, the oppressed mm-hmm. when the oppressor finally falls. Right, and that's really similar. What happens in the book of Revelation? Um, uh, in Revelation 19, God gathers in the Valley of Decision mm-hmm. all evil empires, all those guilty of atrocity, every every evil person, and He avenges all the innocent blood they've spilled and the people they've harmed. And then, as the smoke goes up right that's the imi- that's the image of judgment is smoke the people of god rejoice that their evil is forever judged yeah so there's this day coming soon when jesus will do to all evil what babylon did to nineveh right jesus is coming to wage war um and we didn't talk about this um Nahum predicts that the Babylonian army will wear red Mm. in one of the ways that Jesus is described in the book of revelation is wearing a blood red robe. Right. And he's going to ride out against every nation that dared attack God's own people and will rout the world of all evil. Yeah. Finally establishing a reign of justice and peace Mm. for his people.
0: Yeah. I mean, that that reminds me of two things in Nahum that I just wanted to bring up as we close. One is, we didn't talk about this, uh, which I'm surprised about because of how cool it is, Uh, but it's like chapter one doesn't mention the name of Assyria.
1: It doesn't. It's
0: agnostic about who it's talking to. Yes. And it just sounds like God and his jealous anger is coming against every evil nation. Mm -hmm. And that's the point. Eventually we'll hear that it's about Assyria. And mm-hmm. so sometimes your translation, if you're saying, if you're looking at Nahum 1 right now and you're like, uh, I can see it right here, yeah, that it, it, your, your translator has put that in your Bible to help you understand what's going on. But really the Hebrew
1: just says he, he, when, he yeah, so it's you.
0: put, it's assuming that he for you. The point of the ambiguity is that you will see that all evil nations mm-hmm. fall under the warnings of Nahum. Mm-hmm. Nahum should, should warn all evil nations. All nations yeah. should take this warning and yes. repent. Um, and, and so that, that's like, I wanted to bring that up. And then two, and the second thing is my favorite verse in Nahum, which is Nahum one fifteen, which is what we've been talking about. This is like, okay, so the, this is a book of gloom and doom as we kind of started the yeah. podcast, uh, because it's all this judgment and punishment for the wicked. But how is this described for the oppressor or the, the oppressed, the people who are being beat up? Nahum 115, behold upon the mountains, the feet of him who brings good news, gospel, right? Yep. Who publishes peace. He's like, guys, this is the gospel Mm -hmm. that evil is defeated. Yeah. And I'm like, we need to understand that part of the gospel story, the good news of both the book of Nahum and what Mm -hmm. Jesus did on the cross is that evil is defeated. And mm-hmm. all all of its forms, both, right. you know, in Colossians, we'll talk about this, like both in heaven and on earth, right? Both thrones and powers, mm-hmm. but also angelic beings, mm-hmm. like both the invisible and the visible are judged. Mm-hmm. So that means Babylon and Assyria mm-hmm. and every physical earthly empire, everything that's evil in the world will be judged. Mm-hmm. And that is good news. Let's publish peace about that and clap our hands, Nahum says. yeah. But it's also that on the cross, Jesus also judged the evil spiritual powers, that they were also mm-hmm. defeated that Christ conquered Satan and the demonic realm mm-hmm. and the grip of sin that has he's held over the world like he triumphed over them and judged them on the mm-hmm. cross and we, yeah. we we don't have time to get into everything that means or yeah. how that works out but yeah. it's good news yeah that evil's been defeated both invisible and visible evil have been defeated and will be defeated forever by gentle and lowly Jesus,
1: mm-hmm. the compassionate Jesus. Yeah.
0: The Nahum who nehems The Nahum who nechems, yeah. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's my closing thought. Do you have any closing thoughts?
1: Um, I don't know if I do. Um, I do keep thinking just about the compassionate Jesus mm-hmm. who heals people. Yeah. Because John the Baptist at one point asked Jesus, are you are the you Messiah? The, one, the Messiah we've been waiting for? Because you don't look like an axe just chopping everything down. Right. And then how does Jesus respond? He's like, oh, I am, but just don't worry. The cross will figure it out. No. He says, well, I am healing the sick, yep. the blind see, demons are cast out, and good news is preached to the poor.
0: Yep. That's his answer That's, to John's confusion about why he's not just all fire and brimstone.
1: Right. And it, go, it cuts to the very heart of the book of Nahum. Yeah. There is compassion for his people. And that compassion is expressed when evil is finally and fully judged. Right. You can't
0: help the poor and help the op- oppressed without doing something about the oppressor. Yes. And so Jesus is answering John's question just yeah. in a different way. And in a, he's By focusing on the Nahum instead of the Nehem. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And um, that's... Th- I mean, there's more in Nahum I'm surprised we didn't get to. Uh, I know. There's like... I'll just throw in a Jesus turn. Do for, it. Why not? Why not? So in Nahum chapter one, um, it describes God as his way is in the whirlwind and storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. Mm-hmm. And so He, the, the image is of God walking on the clouds. Yeah. So there's a couple allusions you can make here. One is to the ancient Canaanite god Baal, mm. who was the master of the clouds, the oh. storm god. So when God is the one walking on the clouds. squishing Baal's head. He's squishing Baal's head. Squishing Bale's head. <laughs> That's awesome. But it's also how Daniel, the prophet, right. describes him when he's in Babylon he several comes decades. He riding after. on the clouds. And it's also how Jesus describes himself right before his crucifixion. The son of man descending on the clouds. He's, and what is he doing as he's riding the clouds? He's riding the clouds to, to the his... cross. To the cross. And in that act, what is he doing? We mm. expect when he rides the clouds, right? right. He comes to do as a master of wrath, as a master of wrath. And he is, he is, he because, masterfully uses wrath because by his death for all mm. guilt, yeah, by his taking on the wrath for all guilt, he demonstrates what happens to all guilty people who fail to turn back from evil. The fact that Jesus died mm. proves that wrath comes against evil. Yeah. Like if anyone should have been able to get a get out of jail free card, get out of wrath, free free card, it should have been Jesus. Right. Jesus absorbed all the sins of hu- humanity. Great. He's still Jesus. He should have gotten away with it because he's God. Right.
0: He doesn't. He doesn't. Why? Not even when Jesus takes on the sins of the world to he when get he, away from it.
1: Right. Because when he rides the clouds, he comes to deal with justice mm. finally. All guilt is dead on the cross. Yeah. For those that are Jesus's own. Yeah. He rides the clouds. To execute justice against himself so that all nations, both Jews and Ninevites, can experience his compassion.
0: That's so good. Thanks, Seth.
1: Well, thank you guys for joining us in our walk through Nahum. I'm,
0: I do feel like there's more left unsaid than I was expecting, uh, but go read it for yourself.
1: Go read it for yourself. It's going to be so good. So um, yeah, what's next for us? Next for us is a sermon by you. Ooh. We're uh, publishing a sermon that David did for Bridgeway Church, which is the church that he attends. Uh, and it's about how beholding and becoming Jesus is good news. It's Yeah, yeah. how to, how to behold Jesus in the Bible and become like him. Yeah. So. Yeah, that was a fun sermon. Glad to yeah. get to publish that. And then after that, I believe we're in the book of Hebrews mm. for an introduction. Well, I'm excited about that. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, thank you guys for joining us, and we'll see you next week.
1: Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel creates short films, devotionals, and podcasts like this one. Everything we make is free because of generous supporters like you. To see our resources, visit SpokenGospel.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening. See you next week.